And good morning, Doris Phil. Thank you so much for joining us here in worship on YouTube and on Facebook Live and also on the radio and a few spattered around. We're glad to have all you guys. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. And today we are in between series. Um, in light of all that's happened in the last couple of weeks, um, we're going to take a week off. And we actually finished Elijah. And then Brother Brent will be starting the new series next week called Base Camp. Uh, heading for the summer. It's going to be a great series, three weeks long, and it starts on Father's Day. We're looking very much uh, forward to that. So anyway, so I thought about this song and with a video, and you know, and do you feel the world is broken? And that really just struck a chord with me, and I said, yes, Lord, I really, really do. And last week in the message, somewhere, I think it was something like um, Jezebel and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And, and that struck me last week, but I want to bring it forward this week in a whole different reason and way and say this. Sin and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Because everything that we see going on in the world is all a result of this thing that is called sin. So I want to spend a few moments just going over what's happened the last couple of weeks. You know, I was amazed last night. You know what happened last night on the news? We were 15. Now, by the way, I'm not a big news watcher. I need to tell you that. Too depressing. But last night I intentionally watched. And we were 15 minutes into the newscast before they said anything about the coronavirus. Now, imagine that. Did you think that would happen so quick? But unfortunately, the reason it happened was because of all the carnage and all the terrible things that are going on in our country right now. So what was it? Two weeks ago, um, I was watching the evening news. And there is an African-American man with his hands behind his back on the ground with a white police officer with his knee in his neck. And he's saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And the officer held it there for eight, nine minutes. And George Floyd died. And I'm looking at it, Brent, and I went and I said... Are you serious? Can you believe this? I mean, it was incredibly stupid and incredibly horrible. How could this happen in America? And yet it did. And the reason why I think it happened was because the world is broken. The world is broken. And it didn't get the coverage of that. But a few nights later in St. Louis, um, it was late after uh, the, the protest went fine. Of course, then you had the rioting and the looters and that. It was not the same thing. And there was a police officer, a retired police officer, named David Dorn. And he had served 40 years in the police force. He was the retired chief of police for St. Louis. And he was working as a security guard, I believe, at a pawn shop, and was trying to protect that. And a looter shot him and killed him. 40 years in the police force. And, I, and, and every... every person that they showed that was a reasonable suspect, all of them were African-Americans. And I'm going, what? What? This makes no sense. And it doesn't. But you know why it happens? Because the world is broken. But see, it's not, it's not a new thing. That's, that's the crazy part. I, I won't go way back, but I could. But let's just go back, oh, let's go back to 19, 1938 and 45 during World War II, where Hitler and his regime killed 7 million Jews. 7 million innocent men, women, and children. 
Let's go back to 2001 on 9-11 where terrorists flew aircraft into the Twin Towers and almost 3,000 innocent people died. How do things like this happen? Because the world is broken. The world is broken. 50 million babies. 50 million babies since 1973. 50 million abortions in America. Some of them, too many of them, late-term abortions. 50 million innocent lives. Do you feel the world is broken? It is. It is. And tonight... This morning is not my goal to teach you something new per se, but rather to remind you of what the Word says and why we are where we are and what the solution is to where we are. There's an incredible scripture in Judges 21-25. And again, I may have read this last week, and, and I may have said these exact words, but that's okay. That's okay. But I told you, I said, you know, Judges is not the Bible book that you read to your kids before you put them to bed. I mean, if you want to read crazy stuff... Read Judges. I mean, there are some of the most awful things that you can imagine that happen in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges closes with this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did whatever seemed right to him. There was no king in Israel... So everyone did what seemed right to them. I think it's the ESV and the King James that has, um, they did what was right in his own eyes. And that is our society today. We are like a ship that is drifting without a rudder. We are like a ship being pulled by the currents. And everyone is doing whatever seems right in their eyes. And the cause and the reason is there is no king in America. Oh, oh, I'm not talking about whoever happens to live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm talking about the King of Kings. And I am talking about the Lord of Lords. And over the last decades, we have seen a further and further and further drift of America away from God. And I believe with all my heart in this post-Christian era that we are living in, with the result of walking away from Jesus is what we have, a very broken world. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When, when moral law, law, when moral law that is built on God's law is cast aside, you're going to have a train wreck of epic proportion. You cannot take away moral law based on God's law and survive. And that is what is going on in our culture even today. Martin Luther King said this. When evil men plot, good men must plan. When evil men burn and bomb, good men must build and bind. When evil men shout ugly words of hatred, good men must commit themselves to the glories of love. Very appropriate for our culture even today. Edmund Burke said this, and you've heard this one before. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But may I just change it a little bit to bring it home to us? 
The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for the church to do nothing. For the church to do nothing. I am so amazed how the church is able to swallow the, the big things and gag on the small things. We have spent more than enough time talking about the coronavirus and should we, shouldn't we, when we start this, when we start that. But I don't hear a lot of discussion about what are we going to do about the culture that we see around us. The church is not a consumer organization. We are not here to consume, consume God. We are here to worship Him. We are here to promote Him. And we are here to get the gospel out these doors to a lost and dying society. It all starts. It, let's, let's just, that's what I, I want to remind you. Let's go back to the beginning. In, in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that He had made. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. It was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. There, were no, there was no fear. There was no evil. There was no sin. There was no coronavirus. There was no racism. There was no hatred. There was none of that. He looked around at what he had made, and it was very good indeed. Now, I want to read this. I, I wrote it, so let me read it to you. You'll have it on the screen. God's plan from the beginning was perfect. See, we want to go, how could God allow this? Well, God had a plan, and the plan was perfect. His will and his purpose for us was to live in perfect enjoyment of him and his creation. He created us. His plan was for us to live in perfect enjoyment of him and his creation. That was God's plan. And it sounds like a really good plan to me, Robin. But then. But then. But then his creation, man and woman in the garden, who were instructed not to eat from the tree, chose to do so. And we read in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food. In other words, it was practical. And she saw it was delightful to look at. It was pleasurable. And it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. It was purposeful. Everything she saw about the tree said that she should disobey God. That she should disobey God. And so she ate some of it and then gave some up to her husband who was with her and he ate. No jokes tonight about the woman. The only thing I got to ask the question is, what was the dude doing? How did the leader of the family just stand by and let this happen? And then I ask the same question of you. How can the leaders of our Christian family stand by and let this happen? Well, Genesis 3, 7 goes on and says this. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew. In a split second of time, everything changed. They went from in total fellowship with God, with God coming and walking in the cool of the evening and fellowshipping with them. In a split second of time, then that division came. Everything changed. Everything changed in one second of time. 
and they knew. Now, now they couldn't have given you a theological uh, essay on what all that meant. They couldn't. They, they had not gone to seminary and learned all the big words yet about what all that meant. But they knew that the fellowship with God had been broken. And that the world had been broken. Do you feel the world is broken? I do. You do. Because it is. So they, they knew that they were naked. They were guilty and ashamed. It really had nothing to do with nudity. It had to do with, with nakedness and shame. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they did what man has always done. They tried to fix it. And I really believe this is the first... If, if, religion, if religion is man's attempt to reach God... And if it's religion is man's attempt to cover sin, and I think it is, by the way, then this is the first religion. They get leaves together and try to cover their shame and try to cover their guilt. And throughout the eons of time, man has tried to cover up his sin and his nakedness before God. And man's good. You know, man attempted an outward solution for an inward problem. He, and they didn't know much. They, didn't, they couldn't have wrote the theology paper on it, but they knew something had broken. So they did the best that they thought they could do, and they sewed something together to hide this nakedness. They said, if we can cover the outside, it'll take care of the inside. And see, culture thinks that today, Bill. Culture says, you know, as an example, and I'm not trying to be political police. You know I've never mentioned politics, and this isn't a political statement. But there are really people who believe all we have to do is do away with guns and we do away with killing. Really? Do you really think that? Should we have better gun laws? I don't, that's not the debate. But there are people who say, do away with weapons and you'll do away with murder. That is not true. Because the problem is not a weapon. The problem is the heart of man and it is dark and it is sinful. I'm telling you, if anybody needs to be preaching this, it's the church. We've got to tell the world that there's a sin problem in the world. Is there a racism problem? Yes, but that's a sin. Is there a murder problem in, a, in the world? Yes, but that's a sin. Is there a lust problem in the world? But yes, that's sin. There's a sin problem in the world. See, see, man, man, through religion and social reform, wants to put a band-aid on a gushing wound. Don't work. Don't work. Have somebody have their arm ripped off in an accident and walk up with a band-aid and say, will this help? It can't and it won't. Let's, let's look at this gushing wound thing. If, if, I, if I can leave tonight, today, I'm going to say it night all the time. If I can leave today with you saying, you understanding the sin issue, then we've accomplished something. Because I think we've lost it. Here's what Paul said in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and that one man was Adam, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, through death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all have sinned. We live in a sinful world. The Bible teaches us that every person is a sinner. Rabbi Zacharias said, East or West, North or South, Ancient or Modern, 
The problem and the solution is the same. Or those good words are what? The problem and the solution is the same. Now listen, I don't want to sound like an old Baptist preacher, but I happen to be old and I happen to be a Baptist preacher. But I'm going to tell you this. The problem in the world is sin. The problem in the world. And by the way, the solution for sin is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The solution to sin is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on a Roman cross for the sins of man. That any man, woman, or child who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, turning from their sin and choosing to follow him, can have redemption and relationship with God. That's the answer. That's the answer. And it is not. And it is not. It is not church. It is not a denomination. It is the living, risen Son of God. That is the answer. That is the answer. Rabbi goes on and says this. Once we understand the seriousness of sin, and I don't think we do. I don't think so. You know, I go back to that verse in Proverbs where it says, Can a man take coals into his bosom and not be burned? And the answer is no. But we act like we can Rabbi says, says, once we understand the seriousness of sin, we will gain a deep and lasting gratitude for God. The deeper we understand sin, uh, this is good, this is good. The deeper we understand sin, the greater we'll love His grace. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. The, the deeper we understand sin, the more we will appreciate and love His amazing grace. Paul said this about sin, about man. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For God's wrath is revealed, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So they not only are unrighteous, but they suppress, they push down, they try to destroy the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. In verse 20 he goes on, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Is it Carrie Underwood who sings how much proof do you need? You know, have you ever seen a horse run at full speed? Have you ever put your arms around a hundred-year-old tree? Have you ever looked at the face of a beautiful newborn baby? How much proof do you need? How much proof do you need that there is a God? Being understood, he goes on, through what he has made. In Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the majesty of God. The heavens declare. So, so we have, we have this, this situation where God's wrath is being revealed against godliness and unrighteousness, okay, in this world, and the evidence of God. Is all around. People, as a result, people are without excuse. People are without excuse. We are not victims of sin. We're sinners. We are not victims of sin. We are sinners. You know, David said this way, not Higgs. David said in Psalm 51 5, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David said, I want you to know something. I clearly understand that when my mama conceived me, I was conceived in sin. I didn't come out of the womb sinless. I was born a sinner. And like the song says, I probably like it more than I should. 
Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, says this. For from the heart, someone say heart. From the heart, from the core of man, from the core of man, from the innards of man, from the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. See, at the core of man, there is sin. I'm going to go a step further. At the core of man, there is evil. Man is not, at his nature, good. Man can do good things, and men do good things. But in their natural state, man is not good. Man is a sinner, and man leads to evil. That's what Jesus said. James said this, the half-brother of Jesus said this. And it's a formula for sin, and whether, it's, whether you're saved or lost, the formula is the same. But each person, he says, is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed, when he's baited by his own evil desire. When we're dated to do evil, okay, our evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. That's the issue. That's the seriousness of sin. We're like an old fish in the pond. And you get that old bait right in front of you. He can't resist it. He bites and gets a hold of it. And the fish ends up dying. And it's true for saved people, but it's true for lost people. Here's this hot mess. Do you feel the world is broken? Yeah. You, you, you can't, you don't have enough paper to write the kinds of sin that we come up with. So what does God do? God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave to this, to nails like this, to a spear like this, to a position where the human body cannot breathe as he pulled himself up, the pain was so great he dropped, to this, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to this, that, that any person, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that amazing? We are so messed up. And yet from, the, from, the, from before the foundation of the world was even laid, before the foundation of the world was laid, there was the plan for the redemption of man. God knew that man would fail, would fall. But he made a plan. He made a plan. And that plan included him giving his only begotten son. In Romans chapter 5, for while we were still helpless. Listen, we can't fix this mess. The answer is not social reform. And the answer is, see, if the answer was social reform, then we just funnel all our money to all the social agencies. But social reform can't fix sin. Sin is an inward deal and an outward deal. But the root of the cure has to be eternal, internal. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. And verse 8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? He didn't, he didn't even say, he didn't say, get better and I'll die for you. He didn't say, do something for me and I'll do something for you. No, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That's pretty amazing. The answer for the soul. The answer for society. The answer for the hemispheres is not renovation, but a resurrection. Can I say that again? The answer for the soul, the answer for society, the answer for the hemisphere is not a renovation, but a resurrection. America does not need a renovation. America needs a resurrection, and the resurrection of the life is Jesus Christ. That's it. We are dead. We are dead. We are dead as a nation in trespasses and sin, but God can resurrect us, and God desires to resurrect us. And that's how we change society. I, I know this may sound simplistic to you. It may sound just religious gobbledygook to you, but it's straight out of the Word of God and it's truth. If we want to see America turned around, if we want to see the culture turned around, if we want to see this world turned around, the answer is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the answer to racism. It's the answer to murder. It's the answer to lust. It's the answer to adultery. It's the answer to, yes, it's the answer to poverty. It is. The gospel is that strong and that powerful. Listen to this. A verse you've heard dozens of times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Now, I want you to understand, Jim, I want you to understand the power of this. So, if a man is a racist, and we have seen that on television, if a man is a racist, and then he is touched, truly touched, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is no longer a racist. Come on now, come on. The gospel's the answer. If, what, 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 what else should we do that? If, if a man is a thief and the, touched by the power, truly touched by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is no longer a thief. Because, because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. One of the worst racists in the whole world. Was John Newton? Do you know John? Yeah, John was a slave trading captain, known for his cruelty. He wrote a little song we sometimes sing called "Amazing Grace." How sweet the, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Can I have an amen? amen. Amazing Grace, God can change men. God can change women. God can change children. That's the power of the gospel. That gets better because he's not, he's not even done yet. He, he's not even changing the hearts of men and the souls of men. He's going to change the whole deal in the end. Listen to that. I know. Just listen. This is Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more tears. Yeah, amen. Death will be no more. Death will be no more. Uh, there'll be no more grief. No more crying. No more pain. All that will be no more. Because 
The previous, doesn't it sound like, like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 again? The previous things are passed away. Just like the gospel, just, because, just the same way the gospel can change the heart of a man, God is preparing a brand new future. And it excludes all the things we hate today, like pain, suffering, and death. It excludes those. It goes on and says in verse number 5, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Now, you've got to be careful when you make a statement like that, Dave. But when you're God, you can make it because he can do it. When you're God, he can make it because he can do it. I'm making everything new. Right, because these words are faithful and true. So God has the power to change the heart of a man, the soul of a man. And God has planned and will produce a new future where there's no suffering, pain, sorrow, and the last verse 6 says this. Then he said to me, it's done. It's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. He doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care what creed, what language you speak, or your social or economic status. He doesn't care. Jesus died for the blood or for the lives of men with his blood he paid for their sin. Regardless. Regardless. You know, there's a movie that I really like. Um, it's called Hidden Figures. Anybody seen that? Isn't that great? It's about three African American ladies who were in NASA uh, during the early years when they're trying to get a spacecraft initially up into space. And uh, there was a woman named Catherine Gold. In fact, she just died very recently. She just died 103 or 4 years old. And Catherine Goble was an amazing mathematician computer. They called her computers back then. They were human computers. And she was amazing. But she had two strikes against her, Dana. One, she was a female. That was a man's world. And two, she was black. And if you've not seen the movie, you saw the movie, you saw the, the uh, racism inside of NASA. During that time, it was terrible. But but her skills and fortitude could not be denied. Could not be denied. And so she just started moving up. And and the head guy, played by Kevin Costner, recognized this woman and how incredibly smart that she was. And so she kept getting promoted and promoted. And one day they, they had to do the no go no point. And without that, they couldn't launch and bring bring John Glenn back. They couldn't do it. So it was very, very important. And all these numbers and figures were on the board. Y'all remember the scene? And she's up there, and they're all watching her, and they're all like, going, hmm, yeah, boy, we don't know either, you know? And then she said something like this. She goes, maybe it's not new math. Maybe it's old math. And then Kevin Costner goes, yeah. Maybe it's, and there's some theory that she gets, and she goes to the bookcase and gets this book out, this old book, and gets up there, and that was the answer. It wasn't new math, it was old math. Well, let me tell you something. The answer for the world today is not new math. It's the old, old story. Church, we've got to believe this. We've got to preach this. We've got to believe this. And most importantly, we've got to live this. We've got to live this. Well, Dwayne, how do you live that out? Oh, I'm so glad you Something we talk about occasionally. Jeremy, you back there in the back? 
It's something we talk a little bit about every once in a while. Something about loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. Matthew 22, 36 and 38. Teacher, which command is the, of the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the, the greatest and most important command. And the guy asked for one and got two. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Everything hangs on them. We make it hard. Jesus says it's really quite simple. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You do that through Jesus Christ. And because you know Jesus Christ, you love your neighbor. It's real simple. We don't, we don't need to make it hard. We don't make it hard. Um, I did something I never do. I was posting my, one of my stories one day, and I came across this on our Facebook page. And uh, it kind of rung a bell with me, and I actually went back and looked it up. It goes something like this. Love your neighbor who doesn't look like you, think like you, love like you, speak like you, pray like you, and vote like you. Love your neighbor, no exceptions. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus would say. That, and that exactly is the answer to society today. The church has got to reach out and love. That we, 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 we need to be leading the path in love. Didn't you say something about that at the beginning of this thing? we got to lead the path in love. Well, let me give you four quick things. Let me give you four quick things. By the way, the slide says three, I think. <laughs> I kept adding to it. It got longer. Okay? Number one is this. It's not a time to be blind. It's not a time to be blind. We want to, can, can, can I be candid with you? And I don't mind saying this on camera, and I'll, I'll say it later, too. You know, I was very apprehensive about priesthood's message. Not because I didn't believe it, but because I'd say something wrong. If these are volatile times, when you talk about race and things like that. It's not, it's not a time to be blind. It's not a time to stick your hand in the, head in the, your hand or your head in the sand. Peter, Peter's is past Pentecost. Peter's a leader in the church. And Peter's wrestling with Gentiles and Jews and God's grace. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, 35, listen to these words. So Peter opened his mouth. He did that a lot. Now he always said, if you, if you look for the guy with a foot-shaped mouth in heaven, it will be Peter. But Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Somebody say amen. we got to get this one down, folks. God does not show partiality. He goes on and says this. But in every nation, every nation, anyone, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It's time to pull the blinders off. It's time. You gotta understand, you know, the folk I saw this morning a homeless guy in the park, you know, and he was half asleep. I didn't try to talk with him. But you know, I said, Lord, you love him. He don't need he don't need somebody pointing no bony finger in their face. Why don't you get a job? Why don't you love him? You could say amen right there, it made me feel better. Why don't we love him? That's what he calls to do. That's not a time to be blind. It's time to realize that God loves every man, woman, and child. Two. It's not a time to be ashamed. 
That's hard to be ashamed. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul wrote. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Um, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. If there's, you know, Judy, didn't you just say, Judy, just so you say, I'm, I'm just concerned for my grandkids. Well, buddy, we better get busy sharing the gospel because their hope is in the gospel. If this, if I don't know how long Jesus is going to wait before he comes, I don't know how long he's going to tarry, but I'm telling you, the hope for the world until he comes back is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. It is. Third thing. This is good. It's not a time to be distracted. Now, set up for this, it's real good. Nehemiah is working on the wall. Sambalot hates his guts. Okay, so Sambalot hatches a plan. Let's get, let's get Nehemiah off the wall, and then we'll get him inside and we'll kill him. Okay, that's just a side note. But Nehemiah's answer is golden. It's golden. So the guys show up and say, hey, Sambalot wants to have a meeting with you. And here's his answer, Nehemiah 6, 3, and 4. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work. And cannot come down. Y'all just need. I don't need to say anything. Just say amen. See the church is supposed to be doing important work. See the church is supposed to be doing important work. We ain't got time to come down. See see we ain't got. We got time for all the. The nit noy discussions. About this or that. You know when, when the house is burning down. The old happy Goodman family used to sing. When the house is burning down. I'm sorry Bill Gaither was not happy given. When the house is burning down. It's no time to straighten pictures on the wall. So we've got important work to do. I cannot come down. Listen to this. Why should the work cease. While I leave and go down to you. Why, why should I leave this important work that God gave me to do to come down to you? Hey, why should the church leave the important work of the gospel to mess around with things that don't matter internally or externally? He goes on and says this. Four times. Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. We've got to learn the power of persistence. Don't come down off the wall for lesser things. Don't come down off the wall for lesser things. There's no higher calling in your life or my life than rather than being the child of God and doing His kingdom work. You, you, we appreciate the brothers that go to countries and stuff, but we're as much a missionary as they are. And quite frankly, we're probably not as much danger as they are in this crazy world we live. The last one, if y'all read, any y'all read the stories that I write, came from that story today. I was sitting out there drinking coffee with Judy. I said, Judy, I need to put this in a sermon tonight. It's, the fourth one is, it's not a time for sinful anger. It's not a time for sinful anger. He says be angry. Anger is not a sin. Jesus got angry. Jesus cleaned out the... When they, were, when they were messing around in the temple and selling stuff they shouldn't be selling, he got all fired up at them, okay? But it was a righteous anger. So you can, you can be angry and not sin. We're just not very good. <laughs> Dave, we're just not very good at it. <laughs> we're just not, okay? 
But be angry, Paul writes, but don't sin. But don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbor it. You know, I have a real tendency to get frustrated. That's why i got to be careful how much news I watch. I just get frustrated. But man, when, when you get angry, get on your knees or get on your face or get on your heart before God and say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. Because I'm going to tell you something. You get mad at this culture. You get mad at this culture. Marcia, you get mad at the culture. You can't tell them about Jesus. It will, it will silence our lips with the gospel. Anger will. You... We'll convince ourselves they're not worthy of the gospel. When we're fired, fired up, that's about how we feel. They're not worthy of the gospel. Were you? <laughs> were you worthy of the gospel? <laughs> Let me just tell you a little story. On your best day, when you got it all right, you weren't worthy of the gospel. But he sure extended it to you. Still sent his son. Still issued the invitation. And still said, come on, be a part of my family. Shoot that thing, son. Shoot that thing. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't. Oh, guard your ears. Guard your mouth. Guard your mind. And guard your heart. These are days when we need to be gospel-centric. We need to be Christ-centric. We need to walk out these doors and make sure no matter what their skin color or their economic status, whether we know them or don't know, and some, oh, 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 and sometimes that applies in the church. I don't know, y'all, y'all don't ever get mad at people in church, do you? Don't you lie. Don't you lie. Sure we do. It applies in the church. We've got to be Christ-centric. We've got to be gospel-centric. Because there's never been a greater time, it seems, it seems, I may say something different next week, but it seems there's never been a greater time for us to be Jesus to our culture. Amen. I can't think of a better time. So, do you feel the world is right? Do you, do you remember back when you were in school? You know, and I, it's about probably the second grade or third grade. And you walk up to the teacher and you say, Teacher, how do you spell? And you, you had a word. Thorough. How do you spell thorough? And she would go, well, Dwayne, you need to look it up in the dictionary. I want so bad they say, teacher, I don't know how to spell it. How am I supposed to look it up? You know, did you have that happen to you too? Wasn't that frustrating? I, I never got that. Well, do you feel the world is broken? Well, one of the most frustrating things would be not knowing the answer. I just don't know how to fix it. I just don't know what we're supposed to do. But that's not the case, is it? We've got Jesus, and he is the answer. He really is. We just got to make sure we don't get confused about church and religion, but really understand that Jesus is the answer. But yeah, yeah. It's really a cool thing to know that we know what the world needs to know, and all we need to do is share. So let's pray, and, and let's pray and ask God. It's our time of decision, but, but let's pray and ask God. Hey, God, use us. Use us during these days to be a light in the world. Let your light so shine, and, and let your light so shine that, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. Let's pray. Boy, Father, it was a privilege to talk tonight, and I don't know if it made sense or not. 
But I want to thank you for the privilege of sharing. To remind, Father, no new great truth, just a wonderful old, old story. Father, this culture so needs you. So many people are angry and they don't understand and they're hurt. Rightfully so, they're hurt. And they just need you. So I want to pray, Father, that you'll use us, your church. Help us to be about the business. Help us not to come down off the wall to do lesser things. Let us make sure as we navigate through the coming days and weeks of the pandemic and all now all the other stuff, oh, maybe wise, maybe wise. Your word says, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all men liberally. So help us to be wise as we navigate um, through this world. And Jesus, thank you for loving, loving us at our worst moment or best moment. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for loving this world. And Jesus, we pray it in your precious name.